0: I, uh, I forgot to mention during the welcome that our children's ministry uh, have put together these great activity sheets. Um, if you want to pick one up for your children, uh, they're just right out here in the gathering place. Please feel free to go grab one of those uh, during this teaching time. Uh, and if you haven't already, I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. And so we, we're in Acts, and... Um, I appreciate Andrew reading our text for us today, and look forward to studying this text with you, and, it's, and I just find it best to have it open in front of me. So, it's really, so whether it's you've got a Bible or a tablet or on your phone, but pull that thing uh, up and have it there in front of you um, as we spend some time here in God's Word this morning looking at it. You know, one of my favorite uh, periods of history to learn about is the time surrounding World War II. Uh, It's just, I don't know, I'm just drawn to that time. It's just such a fascinating time in our own country's history and then, uh, of course, just in world history. Um, Many books have been written about it. Films have been made about the events uh, surrounding that time. But well, one of the films that has been made is actually an Italian film called Life is Beautiful. Uh, it won the Oscar back in 1997 for Best Foreign Film. I think it also had the best score and then also the best actor, which was, uh, which was pretty amazing. The actor's name is Roberto Benigni. Uh, he directed the film and starred in the film as its main character, Guido. And in the film, he plays a young Italian Jewish man who, in 1944, when northern Italy is occupied by Nazi Germany, is taken to a concentration camp along with his wife and their five-year-old son. While in the camp, Guido and his son get separated from the wife and he desperately tries everything in his power to help his son, his five-year-old son, live through this just unimaginable time. I mean, it's amazing if you've not seen the movie, the lengths that this father goes through to protect his son and to help his son make it through uh, this, this time. It's, it's awe-inspiring and it's heart-wrenching just all at the same time. So what he does to kind of help his five-year-old son make it through is he comes up with this plan to hide what's really happening from his son. He explains to him that this concentration camp is just a game uh, in which the son must perform certain tasks that the father gives to him. And if the son will perform all these tasks, he'll... uh, the first one to get to 1,000 points wins a tank. And so the son becomes excited that he can perform these, perform all these tasks that the father gives him, reach 1,000 points first, and win a tank. And there's just this incredible scene in the movie um, when they're first brought into the barracks, and one of the German officers um, wants to explain the camp rules to the new prisoners. Uh, but he only speaks German. And so most of the prisoners are Italian. And so he asks if there's anyone in the audience who can translate German into Italian. Well, Guido can't. It's kind of like Hunter and translating the Chinese on Wednesday nights. He's our Chinese translator on Wednesday night. Well, Guido, Guido decides. <laughs> Guido decides he's a German translator, even though he doesn't speak German and can't, but he decides to go up in front next to this German officer and translate it into Italian all so that he can keep the ruse going for his son. And so as this German officer barks out these terrible orders about being part of this concentration camp, he translates it for his son into Italian, that it's this game It's just this game that they're playing, that you can win this tank. And it's just this beautiful, powerful scene um, where he just this father, just risking his life to convince his son, um, to help his son make it through this time in this camp. I share that with you this morning uh, because it serves as a great illustration of this principle. It matters who tells the story. It matters. It always matters who tells the story. It matters if the winner is the one telling the story versus if it's the loser being the one that tells the story. It matters who tells the story. I I don't take for granted the fact that um, as the one who's been asked to be in front of you this morning, that I'm the one telling the story because it matters. It makes a difference. It makes a huge, significant difference who it is telling the story. Um, you know, in the, in the example, the illustration that I gave you, if, if the five-year-old son had heard the version of the story told by the German officer, I'm sure he would have been overwhelmed by fear And had not survived the concentration camp. But instead, he heard his dad's version of the story. And he survived his time there. And that's, that's, I think, what's so special and something that I've not emphasized enough in kind of my own understanding and thinking about this sermon that we're looking at over the next couple of weeks together, just in order to make it all the way through it. What's so special about this sermon in the book of Acts, Stephen's Sermon, By far, it's the longest sermon in a book that's full of sermons, right? This sermon's called Acts, but as we're learning, it's a book full of sermons and speeches. And this one's the longest by far. It's actually twice as long as Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Uh, In Luke, in 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 the writing of his history, in the telling of his history, he's given this sermon a place of prominence. in in the history of the church, is absolutely critical to the development of his history that he's telling here in Acts. And here's the main point that I want you to see. It matters who tells the story. And Luke has chosen Stephen to be the one to tell the story of Israel to the church. It's very important to tell the story of Israel. To understand the story of Jesus, you have to understand the story of Israel. And so it's important who's the one telling the story. And Luke, in his history of the church, chooses Stephen to be the one to tell the story. This is going to be the story of Israel that's passed down. This sermon's going to be passed down through the generations. This will be the version of the story of Israel that's put to memory. Here we are 2,000 years later studying it. I mean, think about the significance of this sermon with me just for a second. Not only does it provide to be the catalyst for the upcoming mission of the church, I mean, what we're going to learn is immediately following this sermon, the church is going to be forced out of Jerusalem, and it's going to begin its its worldwide mission. The church in Jerusalem will be scattered to Judea and to Samaria, and so it's this sermon that serves as a catalyst for that. Up until now, they've just been there in Jerusalem. But Jesus tells them in Acts chapter one, verse eight, right, that He's sending them out. It's beginning in Jerusalem, but you'll be my witnesses also throughout Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so it's this sermon that provides that that that's, that that serves as a catalyst for the church as it goes out. But then also at the end of the sermon, who do we learn is there giving his approval? to Stephen's death? Saul. Saul, the one who will become the Apostle Paul and plant churches all over the Mediterranean world, hears every word of Stephen's sermon. Luke is not present. Luke is not here. How do you think Luke even knows what Stephen said? Saul had a front row seat to every word of this sermon. And scholars think from studying the writings of Paul that this sermon, Stephen's telling of the story of Israel, had an enormous influence, had a lasting impact on how the apostle Paul understood the story of Israel. Because, you see, Stephen didn't just tell the story of Israel like all the other elders and teachers had for hundreds of years. Stephen told a version of the story of Israel that caused all the elders and the teachers of Israel to stone him. And Luke chooses for this to be the version Stephen's version, his storytelling of the story of Israel, to be the one that's retold for centuries to the church. It matters who tells the story. Now, um, like I said earlier, we've got to kind of break this up in order just to get through it. We wouldn't have enough time this morning uh, to work all the way through um, this sermon and so this morning, uh, just due to time, um, we're going to just look at verses 2 through 16 uh, that Andrew read for us earlier, this first part of, of his story um, and of his sermon. And, and uh, the, the part that we didn't read there in Acts chapter 6 is that um, Stephen has been brought in. Once again, this is the third time this happens in Acts, right? Peter and John, it happened first. They got brought in before all the elders and teachers. Um, And then a second time, Peter and John and all the apostles got brought in. Now, here for the third time, one of the Christian leaders is getting brought in before this big group. And And it's just Stephen this time. And these charges have been leveled against him, that he speaks against the temple, that he speaks against God, that he speaks against Israel. It's, it's charges of blasphemy. There's nothing worse. There's no, there's, there, it's, it's, the most, it's, the, it's the worst kind of charge that could be ma- made toward a Jew. And it's all false. People have been planted. They stir up the people. It's false testimony. But they're wanting to get rid of Stephen. They're wanting to kill him. And so they give these false charges comes before the high priest, asks him in verse 1 of chapter 7 if these charges are true. And then he shares this sermon. He shares the story of Israel. My outline uh, is to talk about three specific parts of the story found in these verses this morning. We're going to look at God's covenant, God's call, and God's chosen one. These are three parts that are important to the story of Israel and important to our story. And so God's covenant, God's call, and God's chosen one here as we look at Stephen's sermon. The first one, God's covenant. In verse 5, Stephen uses emphatic language to make it clear That God gave Abraham no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. That's emphatic language. He wants them to know no inheritance was given to Abraham. Stephen wants to emphasize in his telling of this story that the relationship that God established with Abraham did not involve the receiving of land. His relationship had nothing to do with land. In fact, he and his descendants, Abraham and his descendants would, in fact, spend several hundred years living as strangers and aliens, strangers and foreigners, with no land. That's how the story of God's people begins. It's a very important part of the story that gets overlooked. Abraham was actually told by God to leave his land and to leave his people. You know, the, the first part of Stephen's version of the story of Israel is about how Abraham and his descendants would live as strangers and foreigners with no land, That's how the story begins. You know, this gets picked up on, this theme gets picked up on by a couple different New Testament writers. Right? Paul, Peter comes to mind in particular in his first letter. He would pick up on this this theme. It becomes a a way to kind of understand and, and describe the church. stresses how followers of Jesus are chosen strangers, aliens and foreigners in this world. We sing songs like, this world is not our home. This becomes a very important part of our story. You see, God God did not establish his relationship with Abraham based upon a place Because Stephen, the telling of his story, he emphasizes, he did not even have a foot of ground. So he didn't establish, God didn't establish this relationship with Abraham based on a place or upon a people. He says, for at that time, Abraham had no child. So this relationship wasn't based on a place. This relationship didn't form uh, upon a people. God's relationship with Abraham and his descendants was built, was established upon a promise. It was upon a promise. Man, if you you like uh, circling, if you like underlining, that's the part to underline here in verse 5. But God promised him. That's how it got started. That's the beginning of the relationship. It's all about a promise. It all started with a promise. Everything, all of this, we're here today because of a promise, because God made a promise. Because God said, I promise. And our God is a promise keeper. Genesis chapter 12, you can go and read the promise. God said to Abram, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people, literally, uh, that, that word means ethnic groups. All ethnic groups on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God's promise was not just to bless a people, but it was to bless all people. And he promised. And it was a promise to Abraham and to all his descendants. In verse 8, Stephen says that God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and he circumcised him eight days after his birth. You see, we could, if we had time again, we could do a a study about covenant. Covenant is... a just briefly, this is what I want to say about covenant this morning. Because it's important as it ties into our understanding of, of this. A covenant is another word for a relationship between two parties established upon a promise. It's a covenant, it's, it's forming a relationship, it's establishing a relationship. Upon a promise. Karen and I have a marriage covenant. We have a relationship with one another that we established, that we built upon promise. That she is my wife, and there is no other. And I'm not going anywhere. And our relationship is established upon that promise that we made to to each other. And that's what this covenant of circumcision, for all, you know, it it gets diluted, it gets convoluted down through the years as you look at it, but originally God gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision as an outward sign, as a reminder that their relationship Was established upon a promise. Isaac, the the, the promised child, in their old age, was circumcised. And that 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 it was an outward sign of the promise that this relationship that I'm establishing with you is going to be based on a promise and nothing else. Just like the rainbow was a sign of God's promise to never destroy the earth again with a flood, circumcision was a sign of God's promise to bless Abraham and his descendants, to establish this relationship with them. There was no place, there was no people. Promise. So, God's covenant, that's where it begins. That's where the story begins, is that this all starts with a promise. The second part of the story that's, that's equally important is God's call. So the first part, God's covenant. The second part is God's call. According to Stephen, the main character of this story is not Abraham, but verse 2, the God of glory. The God of glory. It's a special title used for God by David in the Psalms. Stephen uses it here. In fact, Stephen is the only New Testament writer who uses this title for God. And it's it's, it's a title used of God to inspire worship. God is the God of glory. You know, David wrote in Psalm 29, Honor the Lord, you heavenly beings. Honor the Lord for his glory and strength. Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in his splendor of his holiness. For the voice of the Lord echoes above the sea. The God of glory thunders over the mighty sea. His voice is powerful. His voice is majestic. And so this God of glory, the one who was before all time, The one who spoke creation into existence, the one whose voice is powerful and majestic and thunders over the raging seas, the God of glory appears to Abraham. And he speaks to him. And in verse 6, God spoke to him in this way He says, Here's how the story of your descendants will begin. They will be strangers in a country not their own. They'll be, we've talked about that already. Then they'll be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. That's Egypt. We know that part of the story. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. That's the 10 plagues. And afterward, here's what I want you to see here in verse 6. Actually, verse 7 afterward they will come out they will be called out of that country you see the first book of, of the the bible's genesis which means beginning it all begins with a promise that's how the story begins with a promise genesis chapter 12 Then the next book of the Bible is Exodus, which means to exit. The next part of God's story about his people is about a call to come out. It's about being called out. For what reason? Verse 7 They will come out of that country and worship me. They will come out of that country and worship me in this place. You see, the next part of the story of God's people is about a call to worship. A call to worship the God of glory. The story of Israel is about being a people being called out. Called out from a land of slavery. God says, those who are enslaved will come out of that country in order to worship me. You see, it's a call to worship. It's not a call to go. It's not a call to leave. It's not a call to possess a land. Those are all details of the story. But ultimately, it's a call to come out and worship. What does it mean to be called by God? You know, the literal definition of the Greek word for church, ekklesia, the word literally means to be called out. Listen, one of the simplest definitions of the church is a group of people who were formerly enslaved by sin, but who have now been called out of that bondage in order to worship the God of glory. Amen? And God still calls people today out of the slavery of sin, God still calls enslaved men and women out of the bondage of worshiping yourself. In this way, the story of Israel is the mission of the church. To call enslaved men and women out of bondage so they might worship the God of glory. It's the second part of the story. God's call. And the third part that I want us to look at together this morning is God's chosen one. Because God's covenant is all based on a promise. Relationship with God is based on a promise. God's call, all of us who are here and part of the church, we've all been called out of being enslaved by sin being in bondage to ourselves and to the world. We've all been called out of that in order to worship the God of glory. And the third part is God's chosen one. You know, interestingly, in Stephen's telling of the story, he skips over Isaac. There's a lot there that he could have told, right? skips over Jacob, Esau, in order to focus on the telling of the story of Joseph. So it goes from Abraham, Joseph. You know, Joseph is such a critical part of the story because there's a pattern. There's a pattern that's established at the very beginning can be traced all the way back to the patriarchs, to the very sons of Jacob. The people of Israel are known as the 12 tribes after these 12 sons. And there's a pattern among the people that goes all the way back to these original 12 with these 12 brothers. And here's the pattern in verse 9. The patriarchs were so filled with jealousy. You see, what filled them fueled them. They were so filled with jealousy that, listen, they rejected the one who was chosen by the Father, so filled with jealousy, they rejected the one chosen by the Father. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by his brothers. Stephen will be rejected by his brothers. Joseph was rejected by his brothers, but verse 9, but God was with him. God was with the one whom the others rejected and rescued him from all his troubles. God rescued the one whom the others had rejected. Joseph would become the ruler over all of Egypt. And a famine struck, Stephen tells us in verse 11. And these brothers, they could not... Find food. Literally, that word there, it means animal fodder. So, they couldn't even find food for animals. There wasn't even food in the animal troughs to eat. Their situation is desperate. That's the point in the storytelling. These brothers are not going to survive. The descendants of Abraham will come to an early ruin. Unless, unless the brothers go to the one whom they had rejected. It's the only way for salvation. It's the only way for these brothers to find survival in these desperate times is to turn and go to the brother they had rejected. Story of Joseph foreshadows the coming of Jesus. For there's another one who will be chosen by the father, but rejected by his brothers. All salvation will be, and, and salvation will be for all who go to him. You see, this is, this is where Stephen's heading. Ultimately, salvation has never been about a promised land, but about a promised Lord. God's chosen one. The Father's chose one. Jesus. The one whom the brothers rejected. It matters who tells the story. In the first part of Stephen's telling of the story of Israel, it's about how the God of glory establishes a covenant relationship with Abraham, not based on a place, not based upon a people, but upon a promise. Calls his people out of bondage in order to worship him and rescues them through the one chosen by the Father, but rejected by his brothers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for, for this being the story. For Stephen's version being the one that Luke chose to tell. Um, Lord, may... May this story change us. May this story help us to see all that we have in Christ Jesus. All that we have, all that we've been given has been according to the Scriptures. And so the story is important. The story of Israel is important. And so I pray, Father, that all these important parts of the story, God's covenant, God's call, and God's chosen one, Lord, that they encourage us, that they that they inspire us, that they draw us to even know in greater ways what we've been given—salvation that we have in Christ. So, thank you, um, thank you for your love for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, uh, the invitation this morning um, is is this: the the, the same salvation. Uh, That Joseph extended to his brothers. Jesus extends to you. Jesus extends to you. The one who was rejected. Stands to forgive. Extends his invitation to you today. To come to him. To come to the promised Lord. And to, to put your faith in him and baptism to repent from your sin and come to him. We'd love to just participate uh, in, in you doing that today as he calls you out to come to worship the God of glory. Let's stand together and sing.